0: Brothers and sisters, uh, the proclamation of the word is an act uh, that I'm not just doing today, but we are all doing um, as we listen to Scripture and as we respond. And so, uh, before we get into it, I say to you, the Lord be with you. Also with you. Thank you. Um, we are just kind of locating ourselves. Um, we're in the last Sunday of Easter, Easter tide, the uh, 50 days in between uh, the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Spirit at, um, at Pentecost. And so, as Deb mentioned, we're going to be baptizing uh, six, I think, six children next week uh, on Pentecost Sunday. It'll be great. The Holy Spirit uh, will be present. I'm going to wear my Pentecost shoes. I got red shoes. And so every Pentecost Sunday, they're my Pentecost shoes. Um, yeah, Matt, you got a question about Pentecost shoes? You can. You can. Wear your Pentecost shirt. Go for it. You got one? Okay. All right. Anyway, the color is red. The liturgical color is red for, uh, for Pentecost. Um, so anyway, I wanted to locate us there. Um, you know, today is Mother's Day in the American calendar, but tomorrow, or next week is uh, a way of saying Mother's Day uh, in the church calendar because, um, as a lot of the church fathers said, uh, you cannot have God as a father without the church as mother. And so I'm excited for next week, uh, both for the baptisms and um, it's one of my favorite uh, church holidays, is Pentecost. So... Um, and uh, during Eastertide, we've been preaching through the First John readings um, and been getting this, these themes of light and life and love, and uh, this is the final reading from 1 John that we'll do uh, during Eastertide, since this is the last Sunday of Eastertide, and the good news that we proclaim today is this, that in the midst of the relentless message that you're missing something you need to be fulfilled, to be happy, we proclaim the good news that in Christ God has given us eternal, abundant life, not just as a future promise, but as a present reality we participate in together today. Amen? All right. that's the good news we're proclaiming today. Um, How many of you guys have ever seen The Wizard of Oz? Old movie from 1939. Um, So it's based on popular Frank uh, L. Baum stories, and the story goes like this. Dorothy Gale, I'm not going to recount the whole story, but Dorothy Gale, who's a teenage teenager on a farm in uh, Kansas in the early 1900s is running from this tornado, and she's knocked out and kind of goes into this dream state where she enters the land of Oz, which is kind of this strange land. It's got munchkins and witches and all kinds of different uh, creatures. It's d- kind of a dangerous land because she finds that she her house that has blown in on the tornado has actually killed uh, the Wicked Witch of the East, and the Wicked Witch... I think I have that right. The Wicked Witch of the West is mad because her sister just got killed by this house, and so she's trying to get back at Dorothy. Dorothy, and there's kind of, she's the villain uh, in this story. Dorothy, she wants to just go home to Kansas, and she finds out that from Glinda, the good witch, uh, that she should seek uh, the Wizard of Oz, who might be able to help her. And so she says, so how do I find the Wizard of Oz? Well, he lives in the Emerald City. Well, how do I get to the Emerald City? You follow the, you follow the yellow brick road. You guys have seen this movie. This is good. I thought this was an obscure movie that I was going to have to explain to you. Anyway, along the way, Dorothy meets uh, three companions, right? She meets a scarecrow, a talking scarecrow, uh, whose dearest wish in life is to have a brain. He sings a little song that says, I, I would not be just a nothing, my head all full of stuffin', my heart all full of pain. I would dance and be merry, I would sing a ding-a-dairy if I only had a brain. I'm, I have a brain, I'm pretty sure, and I've nev- I don't know if I've ever saying a ding-a-dairy. Um, but this is, this is what he's longing for, the scarecrow, is oh, if I only had a brain, I'd, I'd be happy. That's what I need. That's what I need. I've got all these problems in my life, and man, if I just had a brain, I'd, my head's all full of scarecrow stuffing. Um, and Dorothy says, well, maybe the Wizard of Oz can help you. And he says, well, that's a great idea. I'll, I'll join you on the journey. Um, and so the scarecrow joins Dorothy, and then they come upon, you guys know who's next? Gandalf. Not Gandalf. That's wrong wrong movie. You're... you're you can't talk anymore, Matt. All right, so they come, upon, uh, they come upon the tin woodman, not Gandalf. They come upon the tin woodman and who, who confesses that he longs to have a what? A heart. The tin woodman says, man, if I only had a heart, I'd be, in his song, he says this, I'd be tender, I'd be gentle and awful sentimental regarding love and art. I'd be friends with the sparrows and the boy who shoots the arrows if I only had a heart. So all his, all his troubles in life are... are Oh, if I only had a heart. And so the Tin Woodman is convinced maybe he can join Dorothy as well, and the Wizard of Oz may have something for him as well. And then uh, as they proceed, they walk through this dense forest, and they encounter a cowardly lion who wishes for what? Courage. Courage courage. I'm, I'm a lion. I'm supposed to be brave, but I don't feel very brave. Oh, I'd be in my stride, he sings, a king down to the core, and I'd roar the way I've never roared before if I only had the nerve, if I only had some courage. And so he too joins the quest to go to the Wizard of Oz and to request this thing, this longing that they have to be, oh, if I only had this, I'd be fulfilled. Uh, they, they, they all have a longing for something that's missing, the scarecrow wants a brain, intelligence, knowledge. Man, if I just knew more stuff, I'd, I'd be okay. Tin Woodman wants a heart, this emotional connectivity with others. I want to be moved by life, and man, that's how I'd know I'd really be alive. And the lion wants courage. I want, I want the ability to kind of like do what's right in the world. I want to stand up for what's right. I want to be a lion like I'm, like I'm supposed to be. If I only had that, then I'd be okay. And Dorothy this whole time is longing for home, a place where she belongs where people around her love her. And they all have these longings, and they set off on the yellow brick road to find the Wizard of Oz who's going to give them what they think they need. And we have these same longings, don't we? And we don't sing songs like that normally. Most, most people, Joel, maybe. But most people don't sing songs like that. But our, we have these longings as well, these things that we put out in front of us that say, if I only had that, then I could be happy. Then things would be okay. Our entire, our entire economy is built on convincing you of that so that you buy stuff. That's how marketers get you to buy stuff, is they convince you that something's missing, that you need something else, that you're not quite there yet. We've got advertisements uh, that tell us you're not thin enough yet, you're not beautiful enough yet, you don't look young enough yet, you don't make enough money yet, you're not smart enough yet. and We chase after all these things believing they're going to make us happy. We don't do this consciously, we just find ourselves you know, going over our budget, eating out. Why? Well, there's something there for us, right? We were trying to secure something. We chase after all these things, all these messages we hear. You're not happy enough yet. You're not self-reliant enough yet. You're not powerful enough, not impactful enough. You're not authentically yourself enough. You're not purposeful enough. You're not peaceful enough. You're not good enough. You're not helpful enough. You're not loved enough. You're not appreciated enough. You're not successful enough. You're not safe enough, secure enough. And we live our lives longing to secure these things, grab onto them. The message that we get from the world is you are not enough. You don't have what it takes, so you better buy the widget (laughs) or go on another adventure or try to make some more money or change careers. That's what you need to be happy. Where does this hit you? This is powerful stuff because it sells things. People make tons of money off these desires that we have. Where does this hit you? Have you guys ever heard of uh, FOMO? Fear of missing out? That's, some, that's a place where it hits us, right? We're, we're, we see a picture of our friends on Facebook who got together for a fun party that we weren't invited to. And we think, well, I, why, didn't I, why didn't I get invited? So there's FOMO. There's also Niquem. You guys ever heard of Niquem. I just made it up this morning. Uh, it's, never, it's never quite enough money. Niquem. <laughs> Never quite enough money to feel secure. We only had a little bit more in savings, or if we only had a little bit more, if only we could afford this or buy that. We always want a little bit more money. How about fall-up? I made that one up this morning, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fall-up is the fear of lack of purpose. I, I meet a lot of people who are afraid that they're wasting their lives somehow, that they're like, am I in the right career? Am I following God in the way I'm supposed to be? My, my, my job feels meaningless and I'm not sure I'm doing really important work. For me, I struggle with it. It's another one I made up this morning. Uh, phonet is the fear of not improving things. I find I have this, I see what's wrong with a situation and I think that my job is to improve it. I think that my job is to fix this problem and the, and the message I believe, I, I kind of I live with this low-grade frustration that says once this is fixed, then I'll be able to just relax and enjoy, right? Once the church is just a little bigger, then I'll be able to relax and enjoy things, right? fun it. Anyway, you heard it here first. John's hearers in the gospel, uh, not in the gospel text, but in the epistle that we read today, in 1 John's uh, epistle, they're dealing with a similar kind of feeling, Right, because they have received—they're believers. This is a church. They are believers. They've received the gospel. They believe. They were baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, but then there's these Gnostic teachers—gnostic meaning knowledge—we're coming along and saying, "Oh, that's cute. You guys think you have life. It's really cute that you think you have that. But there's no way that a true God would inhabit an actual yucky human body. So what you need is something that we have." that we might give to you but you don't really you know and so they they kind of set up this system to say you know what we have spiritual knowledge that you don't have you poor things and they were starting to infiltrate the church and teach this and these christians these believers who had received life and you know in jesus name they were they were confused and they were starting to think maybe i don't have what i thought i had here maybe i need to maybe i need to go to some of these secret initiation ceremonies and See if I can receive the knowledge that they're talking about. What you really need, the message was, to find salvation, to find true enlightenment is this special esoteric knowledge. And guess who has it? We have it. And we'll give it to you maybe, if you're worthy. And they set up this longing, this frustration, this, I don't have what I think I need. You don't really have life. You don't really have salvation. You're missing it. And John is writing this letter to them saying... You do have it. You do have it. And this is the, this is kind of, he's saying, you have everything you need. Everything you're frantically pursuing, you already have in Christ. And so he's drawing his letter to a close here in the passage we read. And he comes back around and he sums this up and he says, This is the testimony that God has given. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And whoever has the Son has life, period. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. That's actually, the, the definite article is in there. It's kind of cool way to say it. If you have the Son, you have the life. If you do not have the Son of God, you do not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a simple message today, and one that we need to hear again and again and again. It's good news for our souls that are berated every day with the message that you're not enough. You don't have it. You need something more. John says, no, you don't. You have it. You have everything you need. Right now, you have it. In the midst of the relentless message that you're missing something, you need to be fulfilled. We proclaim the good news that in Christ, God has given us abundant, eternal life, not just as a future promise, but as a present possession, something we live out together today. So quickly, I want to look at four aspects of this life that we see in these these brief uh, verses. Um, And then we'll... Joined together in, in uh, responding to that. Uh, for the rest, that's the rest of our service, by the way. We hear the word of God proclaimed, and then we respond. We'll talk more about that as we go. Uh, the first aspect of this life that we have been given is that it is a gift. We read in verse 10, God has given us eternal life. Now, this is sort of a, you know, if you know John 3.16, it, it, it feels so common to us that it risks being blasé. Oh, yeah, sure. eternal... Yeah. <laughs> But guys, this is, a, this is an incredible thing, that God has given us eternal life. It's not a prize. It's not a reward for good behavior or good looks. Joel. It's just a gift from a pure heart of love, which is God. So you're not loved because you behaved well. You're not loved because you behaved badly. You are loved because God is love, and he has chosen to love you. You're loved because you exist, This gift is yours because Christ has said it's yours. I give it to you. There are no strings attached. This is completely unconditional. This gift is yours no matter what. And that will mess with a lot of the ways we try to live our lives if we really believe it. For it is by grace you have been saved, Paul writes, through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So eternal abundant life is a gift from God to you first aspect. Second aspect, the life, this eternal life that is a gift, is in Christ. So we read in verses 10 and 11, this life is in his son. If you have the son, you have the life. If you do not have the son of God, you do not have the life. And John is, uh, we have to leave aside, like, what about Buddhists right now? Okay, that's a deeper theological question we could talk about that's really interesting to me. But um, that's not what we're focusing on here today, because I don't think that's what John was trying to say to people. He wasn't trying to give them an abstract theory about who is and who isn't in and saved. He was telling these people, this church, he was reassuring them you are protected from those who want to exploit you. If you have the Son, you have the life. Rest. Rest in the life. You have it. And you know you have the Son because why? You were baptized into His name. And you come to the table and you take the bread and you drink the wine. You have the life. Don't be afraid. You have it. God's testimony is that He has given you eternal life in His Son. If you have the Son, you have the life. Period. It's in Christ. Third aspect. So the first aspect is it's a gift. Second aspect, it's in Christ. Third aspect, this life is a present reality, not just a future promise. A lot of times, I don't know if you guys grew up this way, I grew up thinking of eternal life as something, it's kind of like an insurance policy. Like, like, okay, i got this insurance policy, I'm going to file this away. So that in case of death, I can pull this out and go, oh, I have this thing. I get eternal life, I guess. That sounds better than, right, damnation or whatever the alternative is. But that's not what John is saying here. He's not saying, you have a great insurance policy just in case you ever die. He's saying, no, this is a present possession. You have it now. Eternal life is not just a future thing. It's a present thing. It's present tense. You have it now. You have eternal life. So eternal here doesn't just mean never-ending, it doesn't just refer to the quantity of time that we have the life, it refers to the quality of life that we have, which is going to be never-ending because it's a quality of life that death cannot defeat. So of course it's going to last forever, because death can't do anything to it, ultimately. That's what kind of life we have. It's not just an insurance policy, and it's not just a new ethic. It's not just a new way of, it isn't that Jesus just said, hey, here's a great way to live, and we're like, okay, great, let's live like that. That's part of it, but it's not just that. We're actually empowered by Christ himself to live this way, to live into this way. That's part of what we proclaim in the ascension of Christ, that he has ascended to fill all things, which means he's present, ironically. Is even as he's away from us, he is, says, I, I'm always with you to the very end of the age. And so Christ is everywhere present. He has ascended to become everywhere present. And through him, we receive this life. It's a real thing. I don't know how to say it better than that. Dallas Willard said it this way. Um, uh, he, he compared, he said, there's different kinds of life, right? So there's the life of a cabbage. And it's, Right? <laughs> For a cabbage, right? And so a cabbage is alive to what? The world of the soil, the sun, sort of the physical elements, and it responds to those things. That's what it means to have life. You respond to these things. The life of a kitten is another form of life, right? It's a higher dimension of of life where kittens and puppies are alive to the world of play and affection, right? Anybody who's ever looked into their puppy's face and scrubbed it, right? You know that there's, you, you know, you don't do that to your plants. Why? Your plant doesn't respond to that, right? But your puppy does. Your puppy does, right? It's a higher dimension of life. Now, children or humans, in general, right? We're alive in another way that animals are not. We're alive to the world of philosophy, mathematics, theories about things, right? And so we can sort of use language to like this would never ha- a group of kittens would never do this together, right? They would they never sit and listen to another kitten, you know, talk about? Theology or anything like that, right? So anyway, so where am I going with this? Um, What Willard said is when you're born again, your eternal abundant life is like like a kitten learning to do philosophy. It's like a cabbage learning to play with a ball of string. It's a new form of life that you have, that you have access to. And it's the life of God, the life of the Trinity, that we actually become interactive. With God Himself. And that's not just something that happens in our emotions. That's not just something that happens in profound thoughts. It's something that happens in our everyday ordinary life. Which is one of the gifts of our sacramental tradition. That's why we come to the table every Sunday. Because we receive, not just as we try to comprehend words that are spoken to us, but we receive by holding out our hands. Receiving the body of Christ in bread. We receive by drinking wine. And knowing that we're receiving the blood of Christ. We're communing with the life of God. This eternal life is a present possession that you have. Fourth aspect, this eternal life that's a gift from God, that's in Christ, that you have now as a present possession. Your eternal life starts now. The fourth thing is that this life is something we practice together. The yous here are y'alls. It's something we practice together. And this is something that John has been saying throughout his whole letter. It's a communal thing. This is not a private, individualistic thing. I can't love one another by myself. I need a one another to love. So we need one another if we're going to live out this eternal life. How does John say that we live this life with one another? By, we, we, we know that we're, we have eternal life by our love for one another as we lay down our lives for each other by sharing in the world's goods with those who are in need, in obedience to Jesus' commandment, which is to believe in His name, which is trusting Him and loving one another. Eternal life is a community that walks in the same manner as Jesus walks and demonstrates its love for one another. And so I've seen this eternal life play out this last week. Two two people, it was Ryan and Scott. I got their permission to share this story. But... uh, There was a, you know, I don't know if you guys remember last week, we didn't have children's ministry. Well, it was because Scott stayed home and uh, he texted Ryan and Ryan, the text went back and forth. We, I I don't want to get into it, but here's what I want to say is that there were some hurt feelings and there was some offense taken, but we, but there was reconciliation that happened. There was a community of love that could bear the conflict that happened in that relationship. Does that make sense? I saw eternal life this week when one of you testified that I'm learning how to love and actually really appreciate people I'd never hang out with normally if it was just up to me and my personality. That's eternal life. That's how we live this out with one another. And so my, my uh, fear of not improving things, part of the way that I'm responding to this good news is by saying, you know what? It's not up to me to improve things. I can just enter into these situations. It's not that the life isn't there because there's conflict. It's that the conflict provides the opportunity for us to live into the life. And I'm learning to rejoice in what I see God doing rather than what I wish He was doing. I'm learning to rejoice in what I see Him doing because this is an eternal life that we live out together. We learn to trust Jesus and put that trust into action in these everyday, ordinary little things that annoy us our little addictions we learn how to trust God enough to enter into those spaces in the midst of this relentless message that you're missing something you need to be fulfilled we proclaim today the good news that in Christ God has given us an abundant eternal life not just as a future promise but as a present reality that we participate in together today amen so back to the Wizard of Oz um they have lots of adventures trying to get the wizard to grant their wishes. The wizard seems to be a little bit fickle about all this. Toto, you remember the last scene here, Toto grabs the, the curtain, and the Wizard of Oz is revealed to be just kind of a normal uh, old man pulling levers uh, and speaking into a microphone. He's very ashamed, and uh, he's abashed, but he tries to find a way to help Dorothy's friends. But it's interesting. He doesn't give them what they thought they needed. He doesn't give the lion courage. He does not give the tin woodman uh, a heart. He does not give the scarecrow a brain. Instead, what he says is, you've got just as much brains as anybody else that graduated from the highest university, but you, ha- you don't have something they have, a diploma. So here, here's a diploma, and it transforms the scarecrow's life. He realizes, oh, I do have a brain and I can use it. And he gives uh, the Tin Woodman a, um, uh, a, a testimonial heart that sort of just is the confidence he needs to say, you do have a heart. You've been using it this whole journey. You just need the confidence to know that you have it. Yeah? And then the lion as well. He doesn't get any courage. He already has courage. Instead, he gets a medal for courage, which is just good news. Is You have been brave. This whole journey, you've been brave. You have everything that you think you need. You just need the confidence to know that you have it. So here, here's a medal, if that helps you. They already had the thing they thought they needed. They just needed some affirmation. They just needed some good news proclaimed to them about it. We're the same way. Guys, we have everything we need. We just need good news proclaimed to us about it sometimes. You have the life. You have everything you need. It's in Christ. You've already got it in the gospel. It's a gift. All things are yours. Amen? So where are you tempted to go looking for this life? Where is it for you? Where does it land for you? Is it fulfillment? Where where do you look for fulfillment and happiness? Where do you find yourself agitated, frustrated, unhappy, discontented? What are you tempted to believe is going to fill you up? What are you tempted to believe is going to save you? For me, I mentioned it's seeking to improve what's wrong or incomplete. My belief is that once this is fixed, once these problems are gone, then I'll be okay. Uh, I'm responding to this good news by learning to accept people as they are, learning to accept situations as they are, and look for the activity of God, believing He's here. He's, I have the life. This is part of it. I'm discerning what God is doing right here. And I'm also learning to proclaim where I see that life blooming. And I've seen it this week. So what is it for you? Do you seek affirmation from others? Do you try to get people to like you? Do you seek control and power over others? Do you try to get others to do what you want? Do you try to escape into adventures where you can leave your worries behind, fantasies? Do you seek security through meticulous planning or collecting resources? Do you fantasize about having a different job? Do you imagine you'll be more fulfilled? I just invite you to, to close your eyes, if you will. And just as a way of responding, hold that, whatever it is for you, just hold it in your mind. just invite you into just a little bit of imaginative prayer see yourself seeking it what do you do when you seek this see yourself doing that what does it look like concretely do you post something on social media do you call a friend what do you do what does it feel like Now just imagine Christ is with you, because he is. (laughs) Imagine Christ standing by you, looking at this thing that you really want. And he's looking at it with you. And he invites you to say, what is it you're really wanting? What is it you're really seeking? For most of us, this boils down to, we want a sense of belonging. We want to know that we belong to a community, that people love us and accept us. Or we want a sense of security. We want to know that we're safe. Or that we want a sense of significance. We want to know that we matter. What is it for you? What are you really looking for there? And now just imagine Jesus proclaiming to you the good news that you already have everything that you're looking for. You already have that which you seek. It was with you the whole time. It's in Christ.